Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. And it's only been a week. Yeah. So uh, we don't actually have, neither of us has that much to talk about, but I've got some some fun stuff, um, including, I, I don't know, this is going to be a, um, I feel like I've had, and I was saying this, I think, on the last Movie Journal, mm-hmm. that I've had just a bad track run. A tr- track record, a bad yeah. run. Lately, there you go. Um, where I just haven't seen, uh, other than like I, I talked about Pandora and the Flying Dutchman, right? And I saw great stuff at Sundance, sure. But like since then, it's just been like, where one are, or are two you years. seeing new stuff? Um, not as much new stuff. Okay, because I was gonna if if you'd said that, it's like well, this time of year, it's not the dumping ground it used to be, but it's still like I like I was gonna go see a movie the other day, like I had uh-huh. time. So I looked to see what was playing, and I was like, ah, "I guess I'll just stay home." Yeah. <laughs> I don't want. Yeah, you got movies on. Yeah. Home. All right. Um, but speaking of, but, but even the some of the older stuff I've watched has not been that great. Um, I watched, uh, and there will be a review up somewhat soon on the uh, on the website. Uh, Richard Fleischer's 1949 film noir, Trapped, mm-hmm. starring Lloyd Bridges. Oh. Um, but he's not really the star. Okay. The star of the movie is the Treasury Department <laughs> and the Secret Service. Okay. This is a thing. I don't know if you did you ever see uh, a movie called Down Three Dark Streets. Mm-mm. It's another noir movie from probably like fifty or so. Um, made in conjunction with the FBI and made yeah. almost as like a recruiting tr- tool or just like a like a public relations like the FBI is great and does good things. And yeah. this trapped is the same thing, but with the, like the secret service and the treasury department, Lloyd bridges plays a, um, uh, a counterfeiter who's in prison and the secret service basically lets him out of prison to help them track down. Cause his old like plates of like fake $20 bills or whatever, mm-hmm are back in circulation again. You know, they never knew what happened to them. So now right. like, we're going to let you out and make your old contacts again so we can find these plates. And then he like, uh, gives them the slip and then tries to like, he's going to try and like get his plates and get some money and get to Mexico and get out of the country. And like, it's not a bad like premise, but the problem is because the movie is made with the treasury department. Yeah him giving them the slip or like getting ahead of them. He's never very far ahead of them. Of course. Like it, they're too scared to make themselves look like they could be like yeah. duped or bested. And, and so there's the movie loses a lot of like dramatic, like tension Yeah, because there's literally a scene like he meets up with his old, I don't know. What's the, uh, cohort? No, uh, his old, uh, dame. I'm trying to think of a flame. Uh, his, his old, old flame. flame. Yeah, yeah. That's a good, good word. And, and he's like in her apartment and like laying out his plan. And we're like, all right, he's going to do this. And he's going to do this. And then cut to like the basement, of the apartment building and realize, Oh, they already have the place bugged. And the treasure department already knows everything he just said about the plot. Like they're never going to let him get too far ahead. I mean, there's a way to do that so that it's like, it maximizes tension. Uh, but it sounds like that's not what they're doing. But in order for that to work, we'd have to identify more with Lloyd Bridges. But because he's a bad guy, so we can't he, identify with him. Okay, he's, I got it. He's ostensibly the lead in terms of like screen time. Yeah. But 
it's not really about it. So the Treasury Department is acting as a sort of Mary Sue. Uh, it, can, <laughs> it can do nothing wrong. Right. And uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's fun for someone. I mean, people our age know Lloyd Bridges as a comedic actor first. Yeah. And so to see him play this kind of like, you know, hard boiled tough guy. Yeah. You know, um, like the cover. I, I wish I had the cover of the. Or I don't think it's the cover of the Blu-ray. Maybe it's the the insert uh, or whatever. Is him, I can't remember who the the flame is, but he's like grabbing her by the wrist or whatever. And yeah. it's like that's not the Lloyd Bridges. I <laughs> yeah, know exactly. he's supposed to be cleaning out his ears with the <laughs> hot shots or whatever. Um, I picked the wrong week to stop uh, smashing <laughs> grapefruits in women's faces. Um, it's I know funny, that's yeah, not you go to yeah. yeah you go to airplane. I weirdly go to hot the hot shots movies first um, i mean that's certainly where i saw him first yeah um because i think is hot shots part do you where do you, where um because he's the admiral and um in the second one i think he's the president oh okay so it's the first one he's the admiral oh yeah, yeah his hat blows off and he's yeah. like there's like really important i think the president's coming to the aircraft carrier or something right. like that and all he can think about is the fact that his hat blew off and like he wants <laughs> to turn the aircraft carrier on to get it but we're like sir we can't do that <laughs> But I th- yeah, so I think it's in the first one where he's like, what time is the president or whoever, uh, what time is this helicopter uh, arrive? And they're like, oh, 700. And he's like, all right, then wake me up at, oh, 630. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen either hot shots in many, many, many years. Uh, I wonder, they may, for all I know, they don't hold up at all, but I have such fond memories I'll, of them. I mean, there's just so many jokes. I feel like... I mean, holding up is like a relative term. It, it right. might wind up being that you laugh at completely different jokes than you laughed at oh, when you were true. a kid. Yeah, that's probably true. Um, but, uh, okay. What was this one called again? Trapped. Trapped. Yeah. All right. Out uh, now on Blu-ray from uh, Flickr Alley. Flickr Alley, okay. They do a lot uh, of good stuff. So, all right. Um, this just wasn't one of them. I and mean, it's a good, it's... Um, UCLA Film and Television Archive, Go Bruins. Um, Damn right. Uh, assisted restoration. It looks nice and everything. I'm sure. Yeah. It's just Who directed it? Richard Fleischer. He's, he did a lot of stuff, and now it's escaping me. But, um, uh, okay, so he did Fantastic Voyage, Soylent Green. Um, oh, okay. Red Sonia, The Narrow Margin. Uh, he was... So he worked for a while. Yeah. Like, Red oh, Sonia was into the, the 80s, um, right? Yeah, and he did the Conan sequel, Conan the Destroyer. Destroyer, yeah. Um, and he also is the um, American director on um, Tora Tora Tora. Oh, all right. Which was yeah, you know, okay. uh, have you seen that? No, I haven't. It's I seem to recall you didn't care. Yeah, for it's kind it, of a right? dull movie, but it is yeah. interesting, and it's interesting the idea that you had an American director, yeah. the American parts, and a Japanese director directing the Japanese parts. That's, that feels that's right, actually. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, yeah, so these are all uh, rewatches for me. Uh, I didn't have a whole lot of time uh, this last week. I just found myself overcommitted um, and. The evening when I could have gone out, I was not inclined to. Uh, so I, I wish I could like. What 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 night was this? Um, gosh, I don't know. It, it might have been Sunday night. Okay, I think so, it was Sunday night. And, and what theater were you looking at? 
Well, I have, here's the thing is I have gift cards for Lemley and, uh, AMC, uh, from Christmas and my birthday. Uh, I no longer have any subscriptions or anything like okay. that. Uh, and so What's I was the nearest looking Lemley to you town center in, in Encino. I guess it, I guess that is I or never would Noho I, be seven. I think Noho seven be closed. It, they're probably uh, equidistant. All right, let's um, see what's at the town center right now. Okay, and you know what? I didn't look at the town center because I never think of it. I don't know why. I look at Noho seven. Um. Yeah, not a lot. Not a lot. Even at Lemley, like yeah. it's it's ordinary it's, love. Seabird. Neither one of them is supposed to be good. You've already seen Parasite. Ordinary love looked good to me. Uh, I like those actors. Yeah, and then let's see what's at the. Uh, and what's the nearest AMC to you? The, um, Pro, the promenade Century city. Oh, okay. Which is Woodland Hills. But yeah. Uh, all right. The promenade on Oxnard in Woodland Hills. I, I just want to okay. pick a, okay. You've already seen onward mm-hmm. and you've seen the invisible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you don't care about the, my hero, hero academia movie. You I don't, don't care about the boy too. I'm sure. No. Oh, impractical jokers. The movie you could have seen. I can barely stand uh, an episode of that. Oh, I love not because not because I think it's dumb. It makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, I I find it very stressful. It's easy. It's very easy. um, uh, I'm not the first person to say this, but it's like folding laundry television. Sure, I can (laughs) see that. It's like I'm. I have to be in one place. Yeah, but not long enough. Like I don't want to watch a movie because I have other things going on. I'm not going to be here long enough. What can I watch? you know, 13 to 17 minutes of while I'm pulling this load of laundry and practical jokers is kind of fine with fun. Okay. The call of the wild, the fantasy Island, uh, Sonic the hedgehog, the photograph, the lodge you've already seen the gentleman. You could have seen the gentleman. Uh, I was toying with it. Yeah. All right. Bad boys for life. I wrote down the photograph and gentleman as like possibilities. You've already seen 1917. Yeah. You've already seen Jumanji the next level. I haven't. I'm curious. And that actually, I think Jen wanted to see it as well. So yeah, you're right. There's not, a lot yeah. to choose from. I would have stayed home too. Yeah. And I, and I watched a movie that, uh, I'd been wanting to watch and Jen wanted to, and Jen wanted to watch too. And that is JC Chander's, uh, margin call, which I've yeah, still never seen. Not, I, I think you would really enjoy it. Cause I like all is lost. Uh, I, which I haven't seen. And I like, he did a most violent year. He did. Yes. Yeah. I like that one. I think that's probably his, his best one. I haven't seen, again, I haven't seen all is lost, but I, I prefer, I, I, a most violent year is like a, a weird little miracle of a movie. Like I just, I don't know where, it, I don't know where it came from. I don't know how it got funding. Cause even given the name, like you would expect a lot of violence. There isn't no. Yeah. Um, it's like there'll be blood. Yeah. yeah. Then there is a little bit there at the there end, is. but yeah. Uh, yeah. And so margin call is uh, it's for a, for a feature film debut. I think it's really, solid great performances uh, all around like obviously we don't really like kevin space anymore but he is wonderful in it uh paul bettany always reliable and you know uh jeremy irons is in it zachary quinto um simon baker an actor that i that i like quite a bit the mentalist that's him yeah uh, that's the character he plays in it it's an odd it's an odd term i'm trying to think what i've seen him in besides the odd episode of the mentalist uh he was in la confidential okay um he plays the, uh, the actor. Yeah. Oh okay. yeah. Yeah. That's right. right. Um, and then I think I've, I've seen him in like a few other things for some reason. I remember seeing him in something where he's like really scruffy, but anyway, um, it's when you say you don't, that we don't like Kevin Spacey anymore, but I feel like he was one, like not just because of like the me too type stuff. I think I was already kind of getting, 
sick of Kevin Spacey before that. Well, he's very hammy uh, in a lot of ways, and that's why he's. Yeah. That's okay. one of the things about this is that it's he. F- there's a th- there is always the theatricality to him that I think if you got the right character, like there's a performative element to Jack Vincennes in L.A. Confidential, so I think he's right for that. Yeah, yeah. He, and so like he he. There's obviously a performative element to Verbal Kent and The Usual Suspects to John Doe. Um, so, like when he's at his best, it's because the character itself is trying to be trying to put on some show air. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's rare for him to be able to strip that away. But I think he actually does here. Uh, and uh, and now that I think about it, here there are moments where the character has to sort of perform, and it's about it's about a sort of a Lehman Brothers type of of firm. Um, the film was made in uh, 2011, and so it's sort of a reflection on this idea of you know various companies and stuff thinking about themselves first, and in doing so, maybe screwing over the entire system. And it's the the music is really beautiful. It's it's shot in that way that can that you've seen in like the Insider and Dark Water and uh, Dark Waters and and that sort of thing, where it's kind of this bluish tint. Um, and there are a couple moments where it's a little bit self-conscious, specifically the screenplay, um, you know, where there's this ticking clock and characters trying to figure things out, but then they'll still take these moments to, you know, reflect on things. And it feels like, eh, that's, that's more of an actory type of moment. Like if you wanted to propel things forward, you'd probably lose this scene. It's, but at the same time, it's still a really good scene. Um, so yeah, it's just a it's it's a very very good film, and it is extremely rewatchable. It reminds me in some ways, not necessarily in tone, but as far as just kind of the 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 dynamic of it, it kind of reminds me of Glengarry Glen Ross. And uh, but it's it's a little bit slicker than that, as it should be. And uh, yeah, so if if listeners, if you haven't seen it, and I think you should see it as well, uh, just check it out because it's it's a, a good movie. Um. Before I move on, speaking of, to in regards to the Kevin Spacey thing, like mm-hmm. actors, I was sick of anyway. Johnny Depp was so yeah. There were the whole accusations about how he treated Amber Heard, but and then, then like, did you hear the real? I heard I, about I, the other thing. Like I heard it, and uh, it was, I don't want to listen to it. It ugh. sounds awful. Um, but it, it oh, was it's because, hilarious! It's like that Christian Bale <laughs> thing. <laughs> no, it was because of that. I was thinking about kind of the same thing. I was like. I, regardless of what happened between him and Amber Heard, just as an actor, I was kind of getting sick of the Johnny Depp thing anyway. Yeah. I know that what? makes it okay in either, either No, no, way. of course not. <laughs> yeah, that's why Amber Heard did what she did. She's like, you're you're being too big on yeah. screen. Um, <laughs> yeah. I shouldn't laugh about that. But uh, I will say, because he was in Murder on the Orient Express, and he plays, uh, it's a supporting role. It's uh, He plays the Richard Widmark role, so... Been so long since I've okay. seen uh, um, that one, but you know he's part of an on, of a larger ensemble, and I think he I think he's really good. And so the idea of him taking a smaller role, uh, I think that would have I think that would suit him very well because um, he because yeah he's also pretty hammy, and so if you limit the screen time or change the type of character, uh, I think yeah, you're in better shape, but. Well, speaking of Hammy, that's a great okay. uh, uh, segue to... I watched Sidney Lumet's 1960, The Fugitive Kind. Okay. Have you ever seen... I have not. It's based on I've a, seen a fair Tennessee of, Williams okay. uh, play, and it's not my favorite. Okay. <laughs> um, I feel like maybe it's because I 
somewhat recent, like within the last six months or so, I saw Joseph Losey's 1968 Boom, which is also based on Tennessee Williams. Right. And to me, the level of, like, the way that Joseph Losey sort of steered into the campy theatricality of Tennessee Williams yeah. made makes Boom a lot of fun. And I feel like Sidney Lumet seems to be working against it in a way that makes all of the overheated like monologuing in the movie yeah, yeah. just seem ridiculous and kind yeah. of like laughable. Um, I will say that uh, Joanne Woodward is the exception because I feel like she gets it. She's mm-hmm. like, she's the town like, I guess in 1960 terms you'd say like something uh, offensive like floozy or something like Harlot? that. Harlot? Yeah, it's like she's Harlot? like a drunk and, and okay. she's a loose woman or whatever and she's like, she's just like chewing up the scenery yeah. and I was like I love this. This is, she's doing what it's supposed to be but most of the movie, it's about, so uh, Marlon Brando plays um, a uh, a guy who I can't remember now if we learn why he left New Orleans. He he, he worked as a, a nightclub performer in New Orleans and he's so he's in small town, presumably presumably Louisiana um, and he stops by because his car breaks down and ends up getting a job. Um, well, first he meets uh, Maureen Stapleton, who's the the um, uh, the sheriff's uh, wife, and the sheriff is played by an actor that I recognized and looked up, and I was like, "Oh, that's who it is." And now I can't remember. Um, but I'll I'll get back to that. Uh, and she introduces him to um, <clears throat> um, a shop owner uh, whose husband has taken ill, who lives up upstairs above the shop, and um, so he, she hires him on as help around the shop. Mm-hmm. And they, of course, he's he. This is still young. Uh, Marlon Brando, you know, 1960 young Marlon Brando. And she's a middle-aged woman, uh, Italian woman played by Anna Magnini, Magnani. Um, and they have a torrid affair. Um, and the whole town turns against him. Um, I would like to hear about uh, an affair that's quite respectful. Yeah. Um, Oh, okay. So the actor who plays the sheriff is R.G. Armstrong. Hey, yeah. Pruneface. Pruneface. But also I, and the general from predator, the general from predator is the first thing I thought of. And it took me, until looking up because he in the fugitive kind, he doesn't have a mustache, which mm. is like, it was super weird. I was like, yeah. I know that face. Uh, and I looked it up. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, the movie just seems like it moves at a snail's pace. And, um, I mean, it doesn't help that, you know, Marlon Brando's very naturalistic acting help, you know, was good in some ways, but when he's sort of like slow and looking down at his feet while he's like, it, the movie just takes forever. It's, it's over two hours long and I feel like it would be a brisk 95 minutes of everyone. If Marlon Brando just like sp- spoke at a normal pace, but he's just sort of mumbling his way through it. I don't know. I don't really know it's, what this movie's reputation is. Yeah. Uh, so maybe I'm, did it get a criterion the, release? Is that what? Yeah. yeah and I'll, I'll be posting a review soon. So I watched the criterion, um, yeah. but it's not like criterion has never put out bad movies. Before. No, I know, but it's, but at the same time, like they put out movies that maybe it's just like, Hey, it's Sidney Lumet. We like Sidney Lumet by and large. So let's just put that out. But uh, I do think that he's a director because that's this is 1960. Uh, yeah, still pretty early in his uh, cinematic career. I mean, okay. yes, he did 12 Angry Men. Um, but I think as as time would go on, like if you see the original Murder on the Orient Express or you see Network, I think you see that he's able to lean into the theatricality a little bit more. But maybe early on, he's like, no, I'm going to try and keep things grounded. 
And I think Tennessee Williams, I don't think you can do that. And, and as we know, yeah. Brando can do yeah. the big uh, Tennessee Williams quite well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't want to tell me I'm sliding Tennessee Williams because I actually am a fan mm-hmm. uh, of his sort of like, uh, yeah, theatrical Southern Gothic type of thing. Yeah. I like it uh, when it's done right. Uh, I will say one thing I liked. Uh, Marlon Brando's character is nicknamed Snakeskin because he wears a snakeskin jacket, mm. which made me think of uh, uh, Nicolas Cage and Wild at Heart. Of course, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, all right. Next is a film I haven't, I hadn't seen for a few years, uh, but we watched it uh, in my. I say we watched it. I made the kids watch it in my uh, American film history class, and that is, of course, Singing in the Rain. We are oh. now to the 1950s. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I first saw this movie not that long ago, strictly speaking, probably like eight or nine years ago. And that, that I think was my first time seeing it. And I did not, I think I saw it when we profiled Walter Plunkett. Um, that might've been oh, my right. first time watching it. Uh, and I didn't really care for it at the time. And, uh, I've, then I watched it a few years ago when I was TAing for uh, another class. And now it's a film that I really adore, uh, on so many levels. One is, it's just it's it's energy. It's just so like upbeat and funny and occasionally kind of cynical and um and I think the the music itself is is a lot of fun and obviously the choreography. Um it's just like it's it, I feel like I would normally use this as a slight against a movie, but I'll say it's so eager to please. Uh you know, it's just like do you want fun? We'll give you fun. Um, and, uh, I think it's, uh, you know, beautifully shot and the, you know, your, your big three, I would say your big four, uh, characters in the, in the film. Um, cause I'll throw Gene Hagen in there as well as Lena Lamont. Um, they're, they're all just do, they're doing whatever is required for, the scene. And so sometimes that means like, Oh, a romantic misunderstanding. And other times it's silly banter or whatever it is. And that's just what they'll do. And they find a certain degree of consistency, but it's mostly, it it really almost feels like a series of, of sketches or sequences as opposed to like one coherent film. And I don't mean, I don't mean that in a negative way at all. Um, and that, that tends to be the way a lot of musicals feel to me, uh, that like out of nowhere, Donald O'Connor is doing, you know, make them laugh. Uh-huh. Uh, and then it's over and then it's on to the next, the next moment. And, uh, but yeah, I, I really, I mean, listeners, I used to watch that as a kid, I would watch that scene and rewind it. Just sure. Watch that just that scene. Yeah. Um, and I also liked the, uh, really liked the Moses supposes his toes is a roses song. Yeah. I like his song. I sang that a lot as a kid. <laughs> well, and even, in the little flashback at the beginning when they're uh, singing fit as a fiddle, uh, is tremendous fun. Yeah. Uh, with a Hey nani nani and a ha cha cha. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I'm sure the vast majority of our listeners have already seen it. Uh, but you know what, if you've already seen it, watch it again because it is, sure. it will put you in a good mood It put me in a good mood. All right. Well, guaranteed to not put you in a good mood is, um, the new film by Jean-Pierre and Luc Dardenne. The, uh, the Dardenne brothers, a lot of them, a lot of their movies don't put you in a good mood. Right. They have some nice ones too, I guess. <laughs> Weirdly, the nice ones tend to be my least favorite. Sure. I didn't really like the kid with a bike. Um, this one's called young Ahmed. Uh, and it's, it's 
as a movie, I think it's okay, but uh, as a sort of moral and intellectual exercise, it's really interesting mm-hmm. because young Ahmed at the time is a is a, uh, a Belgian Muslim uh, kid who's I don't know. 14, 15, I'm not, I'm good. I'm not good at that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm at least 10. I don't know. Sure. Um, and look up the descriptions, like a 32 year old man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so by the time we meet him, when the movie starts, his family is very like, uh, um, they're practicing Muslims, but they're very sort of, I'm not sure what the word is. They're not, they're not extremists in any right. way. At the time we meet him, he's already down the road to extremism. He's meeting with this imam who works out of a back room and mm-hmm. is uh, refusing to um, shake his female teacher's hand. Uh, and, and and like he's uh, and then so it's it's not that far into the movie where he goes from I'm not going to shake my female teacher's hand to what my female like Arab teacher is going to teach kids Arab, not using the Quran. Yeah. I'm going to kill her. And so it's a movie that goes from just, just having met this character, yeah. not making any real attempt to endear him to us. And then 12 minutes of the movie, he's trying to stab his teacher to death. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was like where we end. No, this happens right at the beginning. And then, uh, it's a failed attempt. He ends up going to, uh, not a prison cause he's an underage. He goes to like a juvenile, mm-hmm. uh, correction center or whatever, yeah. where he's, you know, watched under lock and key. But, uh, during the dates, during the days, uh, or at least a couple days a week has like a work release program where he goes and works at a, at a farm. Um, and, uh, the, the, the movie also isn't really about his journey to seeing the error of his ways either. Like his goal for, the whole movie is to kill his teacher and um, the movie, whereas other Darden movies like the sun or the aforementioned kid with the bike also had sort of troubled, violent youths Mm -hmm. at their center, but were mostly viewed from the point of view of the adults around them. This, there's a lot of adults around him and and other kids who were, who were not, uh, you know, crazy. Um, And, uh, but it's not really their point of view. It's like, It's basically a movie that were that I, I, which I, this is the part that I find fascinating is that it's a short movie. It's only like 84 minutes, but you spend 84 minutes. It's like a battleship retention of a movie. You spend 84 minutes trying to figure this kid out and you don't know any, like yeah. by the end it's like, yeah, I don't get it. Yeah. Um, and I think that's intentional. I don't think that's a failing on the Dardan brothers part. I think that's really fascinating. I would, uh, like I said, as a, as a sort of moral exercise, um, I would recommend watching the movie. Cause I started to wonder, because you see like this prison and the, the family who owns the farmers work release thing is you see like the way they go out of their way to, um, respect his religious beliefs and Mm -hmm. to, and to, uh, you know, accommodate that he has to like pray at certain times and, and with certain rituals and stuff. And I like a part of me started to wonder, it's like, are the Darden brothers like, do they want us to like, question like my do do they want me to question like liberal tolerance here Mm -hmm. i don't think they do that either like there's no they never lead you in any way in this movie which is really fascinating um i can't say that it's overall in a cathartic experience you know it doesn't I, i i don't feel changed by the movie but i did spend 84 minutes um thinking about things about 
thinking about myself thinking about the movie uh and, and uh, i did find that pretty interesting so i do it's wonder worthy it's I definitely do it's better than i than some of their more recent stuff that has left me a little cold now i'm i'm definitely intrigued by it because while i am not to my knowledge an extremist i guess an extremist probably wouldn't describe themselves that way but uh you know yeah, I he calls am, himself a true muslim Oh, there you go. Okay. Yeah, and that's what it, when he won't shake his teacher's hands, he's like a true Muslim won't shake uh, right. or shake a woman's hand, and so she says. So what about your classmates? They're not true Muslims, and he says no. Yeah, and and that's and of course everybody in in, in any religion will look at someone who has who uh, expresses their faith in a different way as like oh that person's either a sellout or that person's a, a fundamentalist or whatever it is, um, but anybody that is like devout or sincerely pursuing of uh, their faith, whether they're a Muslim or not. I wonder if they would have a different, because though you were raised Catholic, you are not a, uh, yeah. a believer of, of any kind as far as religion. Uh, and so I do wonder, like if I were to watch it, I wonder if I would have a slightly different perspective on it than you. Maybe. Maybe. Um, I think you should check it out. It's only, yeah, only 84 minutes. Yeah. I'll go to the AMC promenade. I'm sure it's going to be there. <laughs> it might be at the Lemley. I'm not sure where it's opening up the uh, okay. tomorrow or yeah, tomorrow. I'll, yeah, I'll uh, I'll keep an eye out for it. Um, okay, so next for me is a film that I haven't seen in, in uh, three years at this point, and we watched it in my, uh, again, I chose us. It's from three years ago? Is it 2017? Yes. That's right. Picture? Mm-hmm. What? I'm just trying to think, what 2017 movies? Is it... Pirates of the Caribbean five. That's the one, uh, because I decided that in my crossing cultures class, we don't talk enough about pirate culture. So next up, Roman Polanski's pirate starring Walter Matthau. Uh, no, it is of course, Jordan Peele's get out. Um, a film that I haven't seen since I first watched it. Um, and I really, I liked it then. I like it now. Uh, and at the time, like, I think it was so it was so easy to get wrapped up in the story and all of these uh, strange reveals. Whereas uh, this time, knowing where we're headed, I think I was able to like settle into the mood a little bit more and really appreciate just how off kilter it is and how willing uh, how willing Jordan Peele was to go into the, sur- the more surreal aspects and then the more concrete aspects. Like on one hand, you've got like the hypnosis sequences, which are very strange and ethereal. Mm-hmm. And, but then you also have like the harsh reality of, all right, let's open up this guy's head. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. and, 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 bo- and the idea of these things working together, like the, the scientific and medical and the more intangible aspects, all of these things working together for this tremendous evil uh, is something that I really uh, appreciated. And I think he, he pulls that off tonally. Um, and then tying everything together is Daniel Kaluuya. I think he does the whole cast, I think is great, but I think he does such a great job of establishing a guy who isn't, who's, figuring things out, but not quite fast enough. Uh, and, uh, and so like he just almost everything he tries to do, they have anticipated likely because other people have tried it mm-hmm. too. Um, and so I really, uh, it's just a, you know, I'm not saying anything new, but, uh, as you know, I did not really like us and, uh, partially because I feel like 
when I, when I look back at this film, it feels so tight, not necessarily in its pacing, but in its focus. Like, I think he came into this having a very clear idea of what he wanted it to be. And it, it does feel like a very focused Mm -hmm. film that is nonetheless scary and disturbing and funny and genuinely emotional at times. Mm -hmm. Uh, and, uh, it's, yeah, I, I'm very happy that, uh, that I, watched it and many of the kids in my class had already seen it but you know this is the the fourth week in our in our section about like african-american films and so uh i'm i'm we have essentially finished it and then really didn't have a lot of time to talk about it afterwards so we'll be talking about it at the beginning of next class and i'm interested to see if if they will look at it differently having now had some history mm-hmm. uh of of depictions of African-Americans in film and, uh, you know, what directors are doing and and that sort of thing. All right. Um, I was going to say something about something you said there, but I can't remember what it was. Oh, well, I, yeah, I really like the, uh, the silent auction sequence. Yeah. That's, it's really, uh, because I think I, um, well, I'm probably I'm I'm, I'm going to work my way back to defending us, <laughs> um, oh, sure. even though I don't really need to defend it. You're the one in the, in the minority, I think. Yeah. Um, but uh, given Jordan Peele's background in like sketch comedy, I was expecting something that is like heavily written. And Get Out is it's mm-hmm. very like it's a high concept that is yeah. you know um, uh, very tightly plotted and constructed yeah. from a screenplay standpoint. But things like that silent auction scene um, show that he, that he had, he came in already with a great yeah. visual uh, sense of visual storytelling. I feel like us, while maybe not as textbook successful in the former part mm-hmm. and from a screenplay part is more accomplished as a visual uh, uh Accomplishment, achievement. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm repeating myself, but I like if you. I don't know if if tonight someone said, "Hey, do you want to like? Do you want to watch Get Out or Get Out, or do you want to watch Us?" I'd probably say Us, even though I think Get Out is more like "quote unquote" successful. Mm-hmm. It has fewer flaws. It has fewer like strings or seams in yeah. it or whatever. But I, my. Something about us like stimulates my brain in a way that uh, I want to keep watching it. I yeah, I think visually it is probably a more interesting, or at least a, a more polished uh, film. I think the issue for me is that he still felt the need to write it, uh, which sound you know what I mean, like that he still feels the need to like reveal things in a way that's like really overt. And part of me is like, oh, if he. I'm not going to say like the M night Shyamalan thing that everybody said, which is like, well, he just needs to direct stuff that he didn't write. He's still a good writer and he still has yeah. good concepts. Uh, but I think like if he were to delve into horror, that's a little bit more intangible, something like maybe midsummer or, okay, uh, yeah, that's or one. the witch, I think he would do amazing. Like I think, and maybe that, maybe that's because he has a comedy background, like in a comedy background, like you've got a setup and you've got your payoff. And it's like some of the best horror movies out there don't have a concrete payoff. And I feel like, you know, like repulsion and stuff. Like if he oh, were to right, make yeah. a movie like repulsion, I think he'd be great. Um, I remember the dumb thing I was going to say. Oh, good. <laughs> Which thank, is that, thank I, God. that, um, maybe the, the one, like the one thing that takes me out of get out and it's on me, mm. not on the movie is, at the very beginning when Lakeith Stanfield is like abducted. Oh, whatever, the very beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Very beginning. The song is playing the run, run, rabbit, rabbit run. run. 
Now, I know that most people haven't seen John Michael McDonough's Calvary as many times as I have, mm. <laughs> but that's uh, playing. Do you, I don't know what's like you only seen Calvary. I'm guessing once, right? Uh, or, I saw half of it once. Oh, so did you get to the part where he goes to the police chief's house to try and get a gun? And we found out the police chief has like, is like, I guess gay and has a gigolo and the gigolo is there like playing pool. No, that's the song. The gigolo puts on the, Oh boy. <laughs> on the, so I already know run rabbit run from Calvary because I watch it. I watch it every year on St. Patrick's day. Um, and, uh, so it always t- takes me out anyway. Uh, is that your last one? Uh, yes. And last one for me is a Romanian documentary called collective. Uh, it comes out later this spring. Uh, I don't think they actually have a, um, a um solid release date yet but um is it it's it's uh it's really fascinating in terms of access i don't think it's that well constructed and 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 some stuff seems a little uh forced but it's a really fa- fascinating story which is that in uh, it, it's true uh in 2015 in romania there was a um a fire at a nightclub in which scores of young people died and not only that but in the weeks following a bunch of the burn victims in hospitals died because the hospitals in romania were not up to snuff and Mm. the bureaucracy in romania was such that they couldn't organize transferring them to like vienna or to or to Mm. germany which is what they normally would have done and uh, the hospitals being state run, this went so far. It essentially like for about a year dismantled the government and they had to bring in like a temporary government to try and fix things. And yeah. so this movie, this documentary is about that sort of interim, but like but w- between that government that fucked up leaving and the next election to find mm-hmm. out, are we going to stick with these new guys we brought in? Or are we going to go back to the right. government we had elected before it takes place in between there? And, um, it's, uh, as a, as a portrait of corruption in Romania, which mm-hmm. I like, I know I've seen, you know, there's like the Romanian new wave, mm-hmm. uh, movies. And there is, especially the movie graduation that came out a couple years ago was very much like, about a guy trying to get his kid into like medical school and it was just all about bribes, you know, or, Hmm. or like favors and just how deeply corrupt Romanian government and culture is like the reason the bacteria, the reason the burn victims contracted bacteria is because the disinfectant that they were using in the hospitals, um, was diluted like a hundred times in order to stretch it out. Cause they were like, you know, making money by selling it at the normal price, but diluting it. And so it wasn't working. Um, and initially the first government is like, look, we did a test in 95% of cases. The disinfectant is working fine, but they also like the, some brave journalists actually point out like, well, you, you did the test, right? Yeah. Like then that's the thing. You can't trust anything when every level, like there's a whole, th- a whole, when it gets to the, 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 the second election toward the end of the movie, uh, a whole thing is like this new election has been shutting down hospitals. Willy n- or this new, this new temporary government has been shutting down hospitals willy nilly because, uh, you know, you know, when, uh, meaning that Romanians aren't, are having to pay more to go to Vienna to get lung transplants when there's an, a, an accredited lung transplant hospital mm-hmm. here in Romania. And it's like, yeah, but who did the accredit? <laughs> yeah. Uh, who did the accreditation? Like you can't yeah. trust anything. One guy, uh, there's, there's a part where, 
uh, a whistleblower doctor is talking to the new temporary minister of health who he and the, so the journalist, um, for the sports Gazette, it's really like a sports focused newspaper that yeah. ended up being the most, uh, like vociferous, uh, <laughs> uh, investigative journalists. So the main journalists from the sports Gazette and the temporary minister of health are like sort of our two main, like good guys in, in the movie. Um, there's a part where a whistleblower is talking to this new minister of health and basically lays out this situation where the people who, the hospital managers have are mostly like mob connected guys who have paid bribes to get certificates of management. They have no skill in hospital management. They, but they get appointed managers of hospitals mostly to just like, remember when Tony Soprano, uh, remember when Robert Patrick was on the Sopranos and they basically just like cleaned out his sporting goods store. They're just like, so these mobsters are paying bribes to get these certificates so they can run hospitals so that they can like charge phony bills and, and, and embezzle tens of millions of, of dollars or of, uh, Euro. Um, and then the doctors are bribing the hospital managers in order to be placed in, in wards or operating rooms within the hospital where they feel they are best positioned to solicit bribes from patients. And she like lays out this situation and the health minister just starts laughing. <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, it's terrible. And it's like a, the reason that, you know, 37 additional after the fire, like yeah. 37 additional people died who had burns that they absolutely should have survived, hmm. but they all got these bacterial infections. Yeah. It's terrible. And yet all the guy can do it in the moment is laugh. Um, so in terms of, in terms of access and in terms of what it uncovers, it's a really fascinating journalistic sort of documentary, but, um, it's also very sort of like a to B to C the way it's put together. It's, it's, it's very, uh, it's kind of bland and it doesn't move that well. I I think that's the thing about a lot of documentaries, especially these days is they, they look at their subject and realize that the subject is interesting or infuriating or whatever you want to say. And they feel like, all right, well, if we have the access to an interesting subject, that's what we need. And I think that's what a lot of people want. But the idea of something being cinematic, I think that goes out the window. It's like, it's just essentially an expose and that's that's it. And that's what it is. And I mean, it is fascinating. Like I didn't realize I, I, all, everything I know about Romania, I know from Romanian yeah. New Wave movies, essentially. Yeah. Um, and so I don't think I realized the extent of how how uh, how fucked up <laughs> the, the 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 system is there. Yeah, um, a, uh, I was talking to a friend who doesn't watch a lot of documentaries for the exact reason that we're talking about is that he feels like what he'll get out of them is the the subject which there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that but from a filmmaking standpoint he just feels like they're only going to be so engaging and granted and that's the thing is there are plenty of i think Errol Morris has put out some really cinematic documentaries uh i know that like a favorite of mine is capturing the freedmen's where you know that's a situation where yeah it's oh, yeah. interviews What's that's and, uh, Andrew Jarecki Jarecki yeah yeah, yeah. Um, you know, that's archival footage and interviews like we've gotten that before, but the way he lays it out and makes it more confusing as you go, uh, right, I yeah. think is, is, uh, that's a testament where it's like, it's not merely he's showing what this is, uh, what the, what the story is. He's sort of putting you inside it and confusing you more. Uh, and so I do think that there's a way to, to make yeah. any of these films more, engaging on an emotional level, but I also feel like they might view that as, well, why gum it up when I've got the story itself? I feel uh, so a couple things. Um, 
once there's there's also the thing where there's when there's a really good story sometimes i feel like the thing you're talking about laying out information i'm reminded of the documentary searching for sugar man Mm -hmm. did you see searching for sugar man it it lays out the information in such a way that there ends up being sort of like a couple big like reveals right but like thinking back it's like well no you the director now i feel manipulated because you knew the reveal the whole time which i guess is like for some reason in a fictional movie obviously they also know the you know ryan johnson knows what's happening in knives out but like that i'm okay with whereas when it's manipulating reality i feel uh i don't know used in some way right um but the other thing about uh, Collective that I wanted to say you, that you made me think of is I feel like the conversations that you and I have had on this show about documentaries over the past couple of years and which ones we like and which ones you don't like mm-hmm. is happening in the sort of doc scene <laughs> culture at, at, at large. And um, at, so much so that the certain sort of like by the numbers type of documentary we don't tend to like are just, I think, referred to by certain people as talking heads documentaries not that they're about the band the talk right but that they're full of talking heads that does tend to be the shorthand yes and i feel like alexander nanau who is the director of collective i feel like he goes out of his way not to make a talking heads documentary but then he includes scenes where the journalist is like over explaining things in like a, a meeting that right. I'm like, this doesn't seem natural. Did he ask him to go into more detail? Right. Like his team should already know all this. Like it felt like, yeah, again, I felt like a little manipulated. Like is, is this, is this guy running his newsroom meeting in a different way? Because Alexander and now the director needs the audience to have more backstory <laughs> at this point. Yeah, I mean, who knows? It could be that the director said, hey, can you do this? Or maybe the guy just took it on himself to do yeah. it because the camera was there. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to know. 